Well, I do hope that you brought a Bible with you this morning. If you did, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Acts, the ninth chapter. Here's the reality, the, the emphasis that we embarked on last week, the challenge that you're going to hear repeatedly over the next several months. And quite honestly, I'm just going to be telling you the truth. As a pastor, it's something you're going to hear out of me probably as long as I continue to breathe, all right? Here's the bottom line. The reason we asked people to try to identify through prayer and, and asking for the Lord's leadership to identify one person, one person in their circle, one person who's a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a classmate, a neighbor, someone who needs to meet Jesus. Preacher, why would you get so wound up about that? Here's the reason. It's simple. Because every person needs to have, at some point in their lives, a life-changing meeting with Jesus Christ. You see, God's Word is very clear and very simple. We are all born with a sinful nature. We're all sinners. You don't have to teach your children how to sin, right, moms and dads? It's just a natural. We are, you know, I've always heard people say, well, he's a natural at that. The only thing I was a natural at was sinning. I was good at it. My folks didn't have to teach me how or encourage me to do it. I did it all on my own. I was a natural. But before you get all giddy, I, I want you to understand something. You were too. We all are. God's word is very plain. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not even one. We are in group together. But I want to tell you something. I had a meeting with Jesus. It changed my life. Many of you sitting in this room can tell me you had a meeting with Jesus. It changed your life. It transformed you. It didn't make you perfect, but it got you to a place where you could understand what was right and what was wrong, and you realized that you were forgiven for your sin. And because of that, you find a joy and a happiness and a pleasure in living that otherwise would not exist. I still watch people. It's one of my bad habits. I'm a people watcher. One of the things I've watched and learned and observed through the years is that the harder we try to do life our own way, the more we focus on doing what we want, the more difficult life seems to get. We struggle. And the reason really is very simple. It's because we're moving the direction we choose rather than the direction that God has planned for us. And when we're moving outside of, of his plan for us, things are going to be difficult. You see, our creator is the master designer. And he has put together a plan for each of our lives. But we don't get into that plan until we get into a relationship with him. And that only happens when we have a meeting with Jesus Christ. When we acknowledge who he is and who we are and recognize him as Lord and Savior and surrender our lives to him, everything changes. You know, I, I was going back and just kind of working a mental timeline, if you will, going into this morning's message. Jesus had, had been three years engaged in ministry. On that last night, he was in the upper room with his disciples, and we have all the Gospels giving us their records and a little variation here, a little variation there, but if you put it all together, it really is an incredible evening. 
And it was on that evening that Jesus had a conversation with his disciples about where he was getting ready to go and, and, and how they could get there. And he made the statement to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when he made that statement, it was a very exclusive statement. As this was written down and reported and shared, his Jewish listeners who did not see early Christians as a part of Judaism, not only did they hear his words and think they were ridiculous, they thought they were blasphemous. So it wasn't any great wonder that the Jewish community began to persecute the early church. Now, on to that stage of persecuting the early church stepped a young man by the name of Saul. He came from a, a city called Tarsus. And so he was known as Saul of Tarsus. He was an up-and-coming young man. He was bright, he was intelligent, he was motivated, and he was a Pharisee. Because of that, he was zealous. He was driven to try to defend the law and, and the traditions of his people. And when he saw this situation and realized that he was far ahead of all of his peers, he understood here was his opportunity to make a name for himself and to establish himself for a lifetime and a future. You know, one of the things that's interesting about Saul as you read his story, as you read the account of what he was engaged in, it seems like the more he engaged, the hungrier he got. His zeal was driven, and so he reached a place where it wasn't just that he wanted to persecute the church. He wanted to kill these people, and he wanted them to know he was killing them, and he wanted them to know why he was killing them. He wanted to drive the church completely to ground. So we're going to pick up our reading this morning and see what happens when he has reached this fever pitch of hatred and persecution. Acts chapter 9. We're going to read together beginning at verse 1. We're not going to read a long way, just down through the first six verses. But I want you to follow along with me and see what it is that happens with this man and in this man's life when he had a meeting with Jesus. Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bible open there, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's holy word. If you cannot, that's fine. Remain seated. Listen intently. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there, who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you this morning to bless the reading of your word. And I pray that as we spend these next few moments together, that you would open our eyes to the truth contained here. 
Father, if there's someone here who does not know you, I pray that they would understand that Jesus is alive and that he reigns today as King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that this would be the day of their salvation. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that today if we have grown hard and calloused and distant, that we would be broken, softened, and drawn back into your presence. Father, I pray now that your Holy Spirit speak Teach us truth and call us to walk in it. Father, have your way today in each heart and life. For I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Most of you have already heard probably numerous times across the course of your life the verses that I just read. We know this account as the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. Saul was changed. Saul became a different man. Saul had a different purpose. He had a different plan. He had a different agenda from this day on. And I want us to look and see exactly what occurred. Because here's the reality. Even today, people are still having these kinds of moments. They say, well, I've never talked to anybody who met Jesus on a road, blinding light, got blinded, knocked to the ground, all of that kind of stuff that we know is part of the story. It's okay. It doesn't have to be like it. Here are the elements of this story. I just want us to walk through it together. Keep your Bible open because we're not going to leave this passage, all right? But the story begins with us learning about Saul's life before Jesus. See, that's where it starts for all of us, before Jesus. We're going our own direction. We're doing our own thing. And that's kind of what we hear in this account where it starts off. I mean, at the very beginning. Meanwhile, here's Saul. And Saul is breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he was so angry with them. He was so distraught by the fact that he thought they were attacking his Jewish religion, his Jewish faith, his Jewish traditions, that he goes to the high priest. And he asked for letters. What he's asking is, I want you to grant me your authority so that I can go to Damascus. And if I find any of these people who call themselves Christians, people who are following the way, that's what they were calling themselves. They weren't Christians at that point. They hadn't been called Christians yet. But they were followers of the way. Think back to John chapter 14, verse 6. I quoted it for you a moment ago. What was it Jesus told his friends? I am the way, all right? They're followers of the way. And so Saul asked for these letters so that he can go up to Jerusalem and raid the, 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 the synagogues there. He wants to go through and find these people because they're hiding among the Jewish community. You know why they were hiding among the Jewish community? They were Jews. What better place to hide than among your own people, right? And so he wants to go and raid the synagogues and see if he can find these people. I mean, I just want you to look into the mind of Saul a little bit. He was motivated. He was, he was driven. He was angry. He was a Pharisee, by golly. What's that mean? It means he's a defender of the law. It means he is a man who is going to follow all the rules. He is going to live according to the laws of God and the laws of the rabbis. He is going to cross every T. He is going to dot every I. He is going to be the man when people say, what does it look like to follow the law? Look at Saul. That was how it was going to be. 
in his zeal, Saul was trying to defend. He was trying to protect his religion, his traditions, what he had grown up with. What he had been taught, what he had been told, what he had heard when he was in, I don't know, didn't have Sunday school, I guess. I don't know what it would have been. But whenever he was in his synagogue training, when he was learning under the rabbis, everything they told him, in his mind, that was truth. If it aligned with the Word of God, great. If it didn't, they'd figure out how to make it line up. And he was going to defend this. In his mind, he thought he was defending God's law. He was defending God's honor. He was defending the purity of the Jewish faith and the Jewish nation. He saw Christianity, the followers of the way, as a new threat to their centuries-old way of living life. Later on in his life, Paul would look back on this period of time in his life. And he would write to his friends in in the churches in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, he said, I advanced in Judaism beyond many contemporaries among my people. What he's saying is, I was head and shoulders above everybody. There was nobody in my peer group that measured up to me. I was the man. And he says, here's the reason why. It's because I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. I was going to protect the Jewish faith at all costs. Now, I just want to pause long enough to say this should offer all of us a word of warning. And this ought to be a challenge for us because, see, here is an unfortunate truth. Traditions and religious zeal may not always be right. And they may not always lead us into a closer and deeper relationship with the Lord. Now, I know some of you are already starting to stiffen your backs up and say, wait just a minute, preacher. I don't know where you're going with this. Hang on. You're not going to get angry with me, okay? I'm going to tell you where I'm going with this. You don't stand on the traditions. You don't stand on the history You stand on the Word of God. And my friend, if the tradition and the history align with the Word of God, so be it. Amen. Let's carry it out. But if it does not, you better be ready to throw the tradition and the history out and stand on the Word of God alone. Many times, many times I've watched through the course of years and I've seen people who had good motives But they were motivated by all the wrong things. They wanted to serve the Lord, but they couldn't figure out where the Lord was because their traditions got in the way. They had been in places where it was never done like that before. We never tried it like that, so therefore it must not be the right way. We're going to do it the way we've always done it. Saul was like that. He wanted to predict the traditions. He wanted, he wanted to guard the religious heritage of his ancestors. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But his desire was so great that he was willing to murder people who disagreed with him. Now, folks, can I just tell you something? I've got a lot of Christian friends that I don't agree with about everything. But I'm not about to go and put them to death because they don't understand what it means to be a Southern Baptist. I'm not going to to threaten their lives because they don't believe like I do. I'm going to pray for them. 
I'm going to encourage them to look in the Word of God and find the truth and find the answers and hold on to that truth, whether it aligns with their tradition or my tradition or neither one of our traditions. Let's stand on the Word. But Saul, he was ready to put him to death. By the way, can I just tell you something? He was not unlike many religious zealots we have in our world today. There are religious zealots all over the world who are willing to put people to death because you don't agree with their beliefs, their traditions, and their history. The problem with that is this. That's not what God instructs us to do. So if that's the position that you take, if that's the ground you choose to stand on, understand it is not holy ground. It is not the place where God has told you to stand. It's the place where you have chosen to stand. So here's Saul. He's on his journey. He's going not because God told him to go, but because he put himself on a mission. Now understand something. Just because God didn't tell him to go doesn't mean God wasn't going to meet him on the way. Sometimes God interrupts our plans, doesn't he? And that's what happened in the life of Saul. You see, he found himself on the road, on the way, and God intercepted him, and they had a conversation. And I want to tell you something about conversations. Here's what I've often learned to be the best thing about conversation is that questions lead to answers. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to question what you've been told or what you think or what you believe because questions lead to answers. And answers, how do I say this? Answers are our friends. They help us. They get us on the right track. They, they aim us in the right direction. What are you talking about? Well, you see, Saul was going to fight against change, and change is tough. I'm just going to be perfectly honest. I look across this room, and I can tell you right now, you don't like change. So, well, you don't know that about me. Yes, I do. Why? Because people don't like change. We like what we know. We like what we're comfortable with. We like that which makes us feel at ease, that makes us feel at home. And the world was changing around Saul, and he didn't like it. He was not comfortable. He was not at ease. He did not feel at home. And so he's on his way to Damascus, and he's got the backing of the traditions and the institutions and the highest-ranking officials in the life of Judaism. He was doing everything right according to his religious tradition, and it was moving him further and further away from God. He was headed the wrong direction. He needed to change direction, but he didn't realize he needed to change, and even if he did, who likes change? Everybody he knew, everyone he admired, everyone he respected was going that way. Why would he do anything different? There was only one thing that was going to change Saul's direction. You know what that was? An encounter with God. That's it. But before you get too hard on Saul, I want you to understand something. That's true for all of us. 
All of us are heading our own direction, and the only thing that's going to change that is when we have a personal encounter with God, and that's exactly what happens along this roadway. Now, I want you to understand, it was a God thing. It's always a God thing. Churches don't save people. Ministers can't save people. Even the best-intentioned people sitting in his chairs can't save people. Jesus saves people. And he does it. We don't understand all of the dynamics of it. We just know that he does it. But it's not based upon who we are. It's based upon who he is. In Isaiah 55, 8, God said to the prophet, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. Listen, if things were done my way, there wouldn't be any lost people left. Everybody would be saved. But that's not how God works this thing. And, and, and we got to understand, he has to intervene in the lives of people because if he doesn't, they're not going to make it. The writer of Proverbs stated this, not once, but twice in the book of Proverbs, you can read, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. We do it our way, death is the end. Now, that's not just talking about physical death, that's talking about spiritual death, all right? Meeting God leads to change of heart. Letting God intervene turns everything around. It brings about a radical change in life. Saul thought he was going the right way until Jesus stopped him in his tracks. I mean, listen, this has been described so many millions of times through the years and much better than I could possibly do it. But just imagine, I mean, he's traveling along. He is mad. He is angry. He is on his way. He is going to get somebody. And then all of a sudden, the lights turn on. Folks, I don't mean the lights turn on. I mean the light turned on and he falls to his knees in the roadway he's down in the dirt he's down in the dust and the light is shining around him and and he doesn't know what's going on and he asks who are you Lord everything that Saul thought he knew about God changed in an instant if you got your Bible look at it He hears this voice asking him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he asks, who are you, Lord? Question. And here's the answer. I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now, two things I want you to see right here. The first thing is I want you to see who initiated this meeting. It wasn't Saul. It was the Lord who initiated this meeting. He's the one that turned on the lights and asked the first question. Why are you persecuting me? Saul, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you living the way you're living? Why are you making the choices you're making? And and Saul, in his ignorance, said, I don't even know who I'm talking to. Lord, who are you? And just in case somebody might miss out on what's really happening, the answer comes. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Listen, folks, I understand that there are people who have a spiritual hunger. 
They may have a spiritual hunger. That spiritual hunger is what opens them up to hearing the truth. But please understand, people who have a spiritual hunger are not seeking after God. They are not pursuing God. They know that there's something missing, but they don't understand what it is. Paul wrote about this years later when he wrote his letter to the believers in Rome. In Romans chapter 3, he said, There is none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. We've all turned away. All alike have become useless. There is no one who does what's good. Not even one. He understood something. There was a spiritual emptiness in his life, but he wasn't seeking God. God sought him out. Turned on the lights, challenged him, called him out. And then a marvelous work in his life. Now, by the way, Saul's name was not changed to Paul on the road to Damascus. Okay, this is chapter 9. He doesn't start being called Paul until chapter 13. This is not one of those moments. There were those moments in time where God changed names instantly in a moment. Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel. Sarai to Sarah, Saul's not one of those. Saul's name was changed when he began his ministry. In chapter 13, Saul becomes known as Paul, the Greek rendering of his Hebrew name. When he became the the missionary to the Gentiles, his name was changed into a name that would be more readily understood and accepted and embraced by the people that he was going to serve. Now, I just want to tell you something. It really doesn't matter what you're called. What matters is who calls you. And at this moment, Saul is being called out. Now, there's one more thing I want to share with you and show you before we stop this morning. Because this is really what it all comes down to. This is what the whole narrative is about. This is the reason he's on the road. This is the reason Jesus interrupted his journey. This is the reason the Lord called him out with a question, why, why are you persecuting me? This is the reason Jesus introduced himself to Saul. I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Here's the reason why, and this is what it's all about, folks, right here. is simply this, that meeting Jesus changes our course. It sets us off on a new journey. Saul's life journey was altered on this one day. Now, it took him a while to get out into the waters and start going, but I'm telling you, he he changed directions that day. He was on his way to Damascus to attack, to persecute, to arrest, to torment. He was hoping even to kill, and suddenly he hears the voice of Jesus, the very one that he rejected As a dead imposter, he hears that voice speaking to him and telling him what to do. Now, I I want you to look with me at the end of this passage. You got your Bible open? Understand, Saul is on his way to Damascus. He's got letters that invest in him the full authority of the high priest, which means that he has the full backing of the Sanhedrin. 
which means that he can basically do just about anything he wants. He wasn't by himself. He had men with him. Now, I'm just going to tell you my thought personally, and I'm very convinced I'm correct in this because I don't think Saul was going to be a, a great intimidator in and of himself. But I believe that he had probably some temple guards with him who were going to carry out his bidding. Whatever he commanded them to do, it would be the same as the high priest telling them to do it. And if he said, these are the people, put them in chains, they were going to be put in chains. If he said, beat them, they were going to be beaten. He was a man who had power and was accustomed to power. And now he's on his knees in the dust having a conversation with someone he believed was dead and gone. And I want you to look and see what the Lord said to him in verse 6. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Get up. Go. You'll be told. He's being commanded. He's being ordered. He's being bossed around by someone he thought was dead. I love what I see here. I, I, listen, this is what happens when we come to that place where it's time to follow Jesus. He goes on to Damascus, but now he's going for a different reason. Instead of going to persecute, now he's going so he can get there and wait for instructions and find out what's next in his life. That's what happens when we follow Jesus. Don't, don't miss this. Don't, don't mistake what happens when you meet Jesus. When you meet Jesus, you surrender control of your life. He becomes the boss and you become the servant. You see, too many people today do not understand what it means to be a disciple. The world is telling them, and a lot of false teachers are telling them, being a disciple means that Jesus is going to wait on you hand and foot. He's going to give you everything he, you ask for. He's going to make your life easy. He's going to make everything good. You're not going to have to worry about anything. You're not going to have to fret about anything. You're not going to have to sweat about anything because God is going to provide everything you ever imagined. Y'all know what the Greek word for that is? Hogwash. Yeah. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. That's not what Jesus taught. He said, if any man would come after me, that means to be a disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. Being a disciple means self-denial. It means dying to self and living to Christ. It means taking up the cross. It, it means understanding that we now become slaves, not just servants, slaves. I know that that's a politically incorrect word to use today. I don't care. It's what it means. We become slaves to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We exist for one reason only, and that is to do his bidding, to follow his commands, to go where he says, to do what he tells us. It's not about him serving us. It's about us serving him. Now take notice of what the Lord said to Saul in verse 6. Now get up and go into the city. 
and you'll be told what you must do. Now, I just want to break that down for a second because I, I don't want you to miss the tone of what's here. Have you ever had somebody tell you, don't speak to me in that tone of voice? That echoes of my childhood. Don't speak to me in that tone of voice. My dad went even further. Don't you look at me in that tone of voice. It wasn't about what you said. It's about how you looked. But I don't want you to miss the tone here. Because I read this, this verse and it, man, it speaks. Now, not when you feel like it. Not when you get around to it. Not after you've prayed about it and determined whether or not you agree with me. Now. I heard that one a lot too when I was a kid. Now, get up and go into the city. Man, I read that and all I hear is now get up and get in your room. I'll be there when I'm ready. You, you see, the Lord's given him a command. And I'm, I'm thinking this is a pretty stern moment in the conversation if you're going to get right down to it. Now, get up and go into the city. You'll be told. That's always what happens when dad gets to the room, isn't it? You get told. Yeah. You'll be told. Now look at the rest of that phrase. What you must do. No, no, no. No. What you must do. This is not an option. This is not something for consideration. This is an absolute, straight-up, square-down-the-line command. Saul, I am going to tell you what you will do, what you must do from this day moving forward. It's not a suggestion. It's not something we're going to negotiate. It's not something we're going to talk about. You will be commanded, and you will obey, and if you don't, well... Who knows what the end of that is? Folks, understand something. This is what happens when we truly, genuinely, fully follow Christ. People tell me, well, I'm a Christian. Well, tell me about when you were saved. Well, no big deal. Nothing really changed. My friend, you're lost. I love you in Jesus' name, but don't tell me you're a Christian. You're lost. If nothing changed in your life, if your direction didn't change, if your want-tos didn't change, if the way you talk and the way you walk and the way you act and the way you live and the way you relate, if none of that changed, if the grace of God did not become evident in your life, nothing happened. Well, I didn't come here to get beat up, Mom preacher. I'm not beating up on you. I want you to hear me right now in this moment. I'm telling you this because I love you. I love you because the same God who loves me loves you. And it's not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so hear me as I conclude if you're here this morning and maybe you've been in church a lot through the course of your life and you've heard this stuff before but you've never responded to the call of God on your life I want you to know something 
I learned it when I was a child, but it's still as true and as exciting today as it was when I first learned it. God loves you. Loves me too. He has a plan for your life. He had one for my life. And that plan, it's there. But you're never going to understand that plan. You're never going to get into that plan. You're never going to engage in that plan until you enter into a personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. And the only way you can do that, well, Jesus said it. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't have that relationship with the Father unless you come through Jesus. The world will lie to you. It will lie to you and deceive you and do everything in its power to keep you away from Jesus and keep you away from God and send you straight to a devil's hell for eternity. The world will tell you, oh, there's all kinds of different ways. There's all kinds of different paths. We all worship the same God. Nothing that I just said in the last 10 seconds is true. The world will tell you this, but I want you to understand something. There are not a multitude of different paths. There's one path. We don't all worship the same God. There is one God And one God only. And he is the God who has provided the way for salvation and new life to you and to me. Today, today you can experience that. It's not about me. It's not about this church. It's about you and Jesus. And if you'd like to meet him, you'd like to know him. We'd love nothing more than to have the opportunity to share with you from the word of God. How you can become a child of God today. And change your eternal destination. Many of you are sitting in this room. You're looking at me. You're saying, I did that a long time ago. Nothing to worry about. Don't know why I'm having to listen to this sermon. Let me ask you a question. Has he told you where to go? Has he told you what to do? Have you listened? Followed? If not... You're not living in obedience. If you're not living in obedience, you're not surrendered. If you're not surrendered, my friend, your relationship with him is challenged and is threatened right now. So you're going to tell me I'm going to lose my salvation? No, I'm not. The prodigal son never stopped being a son. He never stopped being part of the family. He just missed out on all the blessings until he came back home. Maybe you need to come back home. Maybe you need to get back into that relationship. Maybe there are things that, maybe you were born again, but you never followed the Lord after that. Maybe you need to follow him in baptism. Maybe you need to begin to grow in the word and spend time in the word and in prayer and learn what it means to be a child of God in relationship with God. Maybe there are some things that need to happen in your life that have never happened before. Can we help you get started in that? Now, for all my brothers and sisters, I want to ask you a question. Who do you know that needs to have a life-changing meeting with God? The reality is probably all of us do. I'm going to say all of us know someone and probably some of us know a whole lot of somebodies that need to have a life-changing meeting with God. That's the reason last week I invited you to start praying, asking God, show me one. Lay somebody on my heart. I'm going to pray for them every day. I'm going to look for opportunities to share Jesus with them, to be Jesus in their lives. I'm going to look for opportunities to invite them to come to God's house. I promise you, you get them here, they're going to hear about Jesus, all right? 
How many of us have taken that seriously? How many of you have forgotten already what we talked about last Sunday? If so, understand something. You're not going to get a chance to forget it. It's going to get slapped in your face. Why? Because this is incredibly important. People need Jesus. And when he left this world, he looked at his disciples who were gathered there on that mountaintop, and he told them, he said, go. Go make disciples. Go make other disciples. Go make them what I've made you. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything I've taught you so they can do it too. And I'll be with you. I'll be with you till the very end when I come back to get you. He didn't set up plan B. His church is it. We're it. And meanwhile, outside the doors and outside the walls, people are doing everything else but hearing about Jesus. And they're waiting on you and me to decide we're ready. I want you to hear what I'm about to say, and I quit. It's not about us deciding. He's already decided. Just listen. And you will be told what you must do. Will you obey or not? It really is that simple. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I know a lot of people say, you know, invitations aren't modern. Invitations aren't cool. I don't care. <laughs> invitations are necessary. It does no good for people to hear the Word of God, to hear the voice of God, and not have an opportunity to respond and be obedient. And so every time that you come in this place and every time that I open the Word of God and every time I share it with you, please understand I'm going to extend an invitation to you. I'm going to offer to you an opportunity to respond to what God might have said to your heart through the Word and through His Spirit. If you're sitting here this morning, you're saying, I need a relationship with the Lord. Praise God. You're in the right place. we got people here that would love to share with you how you can become a child of the King today. Would you come? Take me by the hand. I won't embarrass you, put you on the spot, but we'd love to visit with you about how you can become a child of God today. Maybe you've done that, but you've never followed the Lord all the way through. You haven't followed Him in believer's baptism. You've not connected with the body of Christ. You've not gotten into the Word and, and grown as, as a disciple. And maybe today you're realizing, I need to be doing this, but I don't know how to, I, I don't know where to begin. I don't, come, take me by the hand. Just tell me. I made that decision. I belong to him, but I need, I need to move forward in my Christian life, my Christian walk. Would you let us help you with that? Again, no pressure. This is between you and God. We're just here to help. What is it that God's laid on your heart? What is it that he's speaking to you about?
I'm pleading with you, don't ignore him. Don't walk away. Don't act like you didn't hear him. Because every one of us, at some point, and some of us at multiple points in our lives, need to have a life-changing meeting with God. Maybe today is your day. Hear his voice and obey his call. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. What a challenging word it is to be called to walk in your way, to serve you in your kingdom. But Lord, all of that begins when we hear your call to new life. And perhaps in this room this morning, there's some who are hearing that call and not sure what to do, not sure whether to take a step, not sure whether to hold on and hold out. I pray, Father, break down the barriers. Move their feet. Don't let them be satisfied to sit and act like they didn't hear. Father, draw them to yourself. That today would be the day of salvation. That we might rejoice with them and all of heaven could be set into a frenzy. Father, I I pray for my brothers and sisters. There are some who have wandered away. They're not living as they should. They're not serving as they could. They're not doing what you would have them do. I pray, Father, for them that today you would break their hearts for what breaks yours. Point them to the lost around them. Father, help us to, to, to realize who that one is that you have for us right now in this moment. And Father, call us to service. Lord, I pray that today you'd confront us, call us out, change us, and use us. This is my prayer, and I ask it in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen.